Hi, I'm Cleo, and this is the podcast in which I use my PhD in English to interpret the songs of Taylor Swift. And I'm joined again by my friend Ray to talk about some more Taylor Swift fan fiction, and specifically the Omegaverse. It's also sometimes called ABO or Alpha Beta Omega Dynamics, and it is a trope in fan fiction that exists across a bunch of different fandoms. It's not sort of one specific thing, and that not all stories written in the Omegaverse have exactly the same characteristics. But some of the fundamental aspects aspects are that in addition to having a concept of gender, um, human society also has a concept of dynamic. One's dynamic is alpha, beta, or omega. And being an alpha or a beta or an omega is a kind of biologically determined category in some ways, and that one does have like specific sexual features related to it, but it also has a lot of effect on one's personality in this universe, as well as social roles in society. Also, Omegaverse sometimes involves these sort of pack dynamics, which were kind of present in the story. The idea that being an alpha in the way that one relates to betas and omegas could also be within sort of a pack or a family unit, um, as well as in a romantic relationship. I think when you first when you first started talking about fan fiction, like I asked you whether this what was the overlap with werewolves, and I've realized since then that it's not always about wolves or werewolves. But like in this Taylor Swift story, there are a lot of like wolf related. Yeah, there are certainly a lot of wolfish characteristics here, um, especially in the way that they talk about pack dynamics, and there's a lot of growling, and small children are called pups. So I think that in almost all interpretations of the Omegaverse, there are a lot of animalistic characteristics, whether those are necessarily wolfish or like dogish. I'm not really sure, but these characteristics of scent being very important, scent is how you tell someone is an alpha, beta or omega. Scent can also be related to like emotion. Scent can also be related to sexual arousal. Some people have very appealing scents that often um, show sexual compatibility. So those things are definitely very animalistic. Also, the concept of nodding is present in a lot of fan fiction, as are mating bites. And so those are all things that relate to wolves. Are mating bites a wolf thing as well? Because I feel like I'm almost connecting that with like vampire fiction or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think that I think Omegaverse does sort of draw from a lot of disparate traditions. People often traditionally say that it comes from this specific prompt in the supernatural fandom in 2010. But I think you can only trace its history to that specific prompt if you're relying on Omegaverse being defined by the terms Alpha, Beta, Omega. Whereas these elements of humans sort of having vaguely animalistic tendencies, humans going into heat, um, having mating bites, finding one's soulmate based on one's smell. Those were things that pre-existed in fan fiction, um, but they weren't limited to like a specific sort of universe. So Omegaverse was started sort of drawing these threads together and then became sort of this more established universe. So one thing that is kind of interesting in terms of talking about the relationship of the Omegaverse to Taylor Swift fan fiction is that the original prompt was actually for real person fiction. So it was specifically for the two main actors on Supernatural. Not the characters. Yeah, the actors, not the characters. So the idea being, I guess, oh, these actors are working together on these t this TV show and they, you know, fall in love. This fiction that we read, Are We Out of the Woods, is kind of this post-apocalyptic fiction that takes place kind of after the downfall of human society and it's not clear whether like 
the transformation of society into an, the Omegaverse has led to the downfall of society or, or has always been the case. But people have sort of gone back to being like hunter-gatherers, essentially. And I feel like part of what's happening is that like the packs and so on are these like bands of people like kind of sticking together to try to like survive the apocalypse. But as I understand it, there's nothing essentially post-apocalyptic or prehistoric about the Omegaverse. Yeah, no, no, that's correct. And I would say, actually, I think the majority of Omegaverse stories are taking place in a sort of universe very close to ours. And this aspect of people having this dynamic being an Alpha, Beta, Omega is sort of the main thing that's being added. So I think that I think that this is a story that is sort of the fusion of two different tropes, one trope being Omegaverse and one trope being post-apocalyptic. And also, I think, you know, the, the life of the humans in this fiction is sort of closer to the lives of wolves in that they're like going out and regularly like hunting wild animals. Yeah. And I think that also did serve to maybe enhance the sort of like wolfish aspects of the Omegaverse as a trope. Whereas I think that in Omegaverse stories that are set more to the real world um, or in a world sort of similar to ours, the wolfish aspects maybe don't appear as blatant. Unsurprisingly, I'm really interested in the food. <laughs> yeah, I should have paid more attention to the food knowing that it was going to come up. <laughs> well, the foods that are mentioned are, of course, like the meat, like they hunt boar at one point, but then they also like pick mushrooms and eat chestnut. Yeah, and she's collecting mushrooms when she first meets right. Carly. She's gone to sort of the edge of her group's territory. She sort of wandered away a little bit from the, the alphas in the pack. And that's when she meets this other alpha who we don't know then, but it turns out later is Carly. So West, who I assume is Kanye West, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's the assumption I made. But in general, I thought like there were fewer characters in this that were from real life than in other Taylor Swift fan fiction we've read. Cara Delavinia was randomly one of Carly's friends. In okay, her so I knew that person and I knew Carly. I don't think I knew anyone else though. Who are Carly's actual parents? Let me just look this up. Yeah, so Carly's parents are called Kurt and Tracy. Yeah, so they're Elizabeth and Burton in the story so because taylor's name is taylor like she references elizabeth taylor and richard burton in at least one of her songs taylor refers to joe alwyn in one of her songs burton to my taylor like elizabeth taylor and richard burton had sort of a famous on and off again romance um and for some reason i kind of thought like are they are they Carly's parents in this. But this is the problem because everyone is only identified by first names or yeah, by one name. Yeah, which does make it difficult. Which also, I guess, is supposed to give us the post-apocalyptic atmosphere. Oh, that's that true. last names have become redundant in some way. But that's interesting that these were people who were maybe from a Taylor Swift song because that was something that had kind of confused me because I would think that Carly's parents are something that like, their names are easy to look up. So I was kind of surprised yeah. that it wasn't just her parents. That's why I kind of thought maybe they're famous people and maybe this is a way of packing more famous people into this story so was was l someone from real life i don't know there were a few where i was like maybe i don't maybe i'm supposed to know this person but maybe not it did bother me on the most minor level this is probably not the thing to complain about in this story but the fact that the packs are the northern pack the southern pack and the eastern pack and we don't really hear a lot about a western pack but the name of the leader of the northern pack is west um, which just seems like it's inviting confusion i mean i understand why if it's supposed to be kanye west 
but that's why there's not a western pack maybe it would be too too confusing <laughs> no but if if like instead of the northern pack they were just the western pack but that's not where they are but couldn't you just change the geography of this place they could move i guess yeah where do you think this takes place geographically yeah so it definitely it snows right yeah i mean i think it gets super cold but it can't get like that cold just because i think it would be very difficult for people to survive if they were this was taking in place in like minnesota for example i mean do you think maybe it's pennsylvania and taylor never moved although we're talking about people who like like cara delvini is from england originally yeah though i mean think because taylor's the main character i would think it would more match on to like her living places that's true. It's also like they changed stuff, right? Because they they changed the fact that they made Carly older than Taylor, even though mm. she's younger than Taylor, yeah. for example. So I'm not sure that realism is the, <laughs> is the main the idea dominant impulse here. <laughs> I did feel like it was a story that really wanted to emphasize Carly being sort of bigger, older. Also, she is like the alpha in this relationship. They wanted almost sort of like no conflicting signals in the sort of the way they're like writing about the dynamics of the relationship yeah because you would think it would be enough for her to be an alpha and that would just automatically make her dominant and so it doesn't matter how old she is but but the fact that she's older is mentioned several times yeah yeah in all the descriptions of her i felt like there was a lot of emphasis on because i mean actually i guess it is true that she is like very tall and everything um but i felt like the physical description there was a lot of emphasis on taylor being sort of very small and delicate um especially in sort of comparison of like what both of their bodies would look like together there's a lot of sort of physical description of that difference which I guess is another part of like someone's being an alpha or an omega being something that in this universe is immediately recognizable based on their smell and also their physical appearance. But also in Taylor's case, there's this sort of idea of like delayed presentation that you don't know you're an omega until you go into heat for the first time. Whereas it seems like in this interpretation of the megaverse, like people who are alphas, that's something that they know from birth. I think it's interesting that like something that is so fundamental to the rest of your whole life like doesn't appear until well in, T in taylor's case what is she like 18? yeah i think in this story she's 19 um but in other stories that i read this is something that sometimes comes on at puberty so i think it can be younger in some stories but it is something that like as a child you might not know and i think that actually that is often a kind of like pivotal moment in a lot of Omegaverse stories, as it is in this one, the realization that one is an Omega, that that's sort of a moment that might radically change one's life and one's sort of expectations for the future. I think that's something that's interesting about Omegaverse stories as a trope, that they are often kicked off by this realization of something that's fundamental to who you are, but that you didn't expect and maybe also sort of didn't want. It's often a, you often feel like you're losing something when you discover that you're an Omega because of either sort of specific dangers faced by Omega or sort of social prejudices against Omegas that you didn't know that you would have to um, sort of bear the brunt of, even if you knew that it was a part of the society you lived in. I wonder if sometimes people are interested in writing and reading the Omegaverse because it's a way to write about misogyny and patriarchy without actually writing about misogyny. Um, because, of course, you aren't really writing about men or women. You're writing about something that does not have an exact one-to-one -one ratio, instead just takes on some characteristics of the relationships between men and women in society. Taylor seems very happy to just kind of fall into a conventional, you know, womanly role of, like, 
reproducing and being protected by the strong alpha and so on. She kind of accepts her role and she seems like super mm-hmm. into it. But it's like if she weren't fitting into that role like that, that would be a problem. But but she is because she's biologically kind of conditioned to. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what being an Omega is, I guess. There is this initial reaction to her discovery because it means that she has to either like sleep with the alpha of her pack or immediately leave sort of everyone she's ever known. Um, yeah. So there is this sort of immediate negative consequence to her discovering her dynamic. But after that, it does seem like she's incredibly happy once she sort of has joined Carly's pack. Though also, I mean, if she hadn't been incredibly immediately attracted and in love with Carly as soon as she met her, um, right. it seems that like the story would be like really different. Um, because it seems like as an Omega, you in this world have to immediately attach yourself to a powerful alpha for protection. And Carly's pack actually seems to be kind of an exception to that in that, like, Carly makes it clear she, like, protects Omegas Mm -hmm. without requiring anything of them. Yeah, and I feel like that sort of set up as this distinction between, like, what a pack with a good alpha looks like and what a pack with a bad alpha looks like. Like, in this world, all packs have alphas and all packs have this sort of, like, hierarchy, um, but some alphas are good and see their role as one of sort of, like, protection as opposed to, I guess, like having a right to all the Omegas in their path. Because I think the first place that she takes her is explicitly an area where Omegas are like able to pass through their heat safely. Right. Um, so the fact that like there is a designated area for that means that like Omegas are like generally protected during their heat in Carly's pack. Let's talk about that first moment where Carly takes her to the place where the Omegas are like left to go through their heat in peace. I'm like at the part where the Omega has stopped dead in her tracks right on the entrance looking at Carly's shelter with wide eyes. I mean this is I was gonna ask you this earlier but like how much do you think that they're able to like heat buildings like how much control do they have over temperature i know that that's not the main thing we're talking about but like <laughs> yeah it seems like sometimes they have fairly advanced technology and it seems like other times they don't especially given that they haven't they don't seem to be doing a lot of like farming well they don't farm they're hunter gatherers they're like pre or post agricultural but they're also building shelters so I'm not clear on how much they're moving. Can you, like, how much do hunter-gatherers have to move? I don't know. I think maybe this is just me assuming things about hunter-gatherers that I don't know. But I thought you would have to sort of move to follow, like, where there are a lot of animals. There was a new book, Against the Green, that sort of challenges the idea that the first cities were set up because people stopped hunter-gathering. I'm, like, remembering it super vaguely, but I cited it in my (laughs) dissertation at one point. But, like, thinking about the apocalypse, like, you could imagine some things enduring, like, maybe some pieces of technology or some ways of of thinking or, you know, some crafts enduring and others being forgotten. And I guess we are such a sort of, like, sedentary society that it may be in a post-apocalyptic universe. Even if we were hunter-gathering, we would still be like trying to build houses and build a village i mean it definitely seems like this is not a very portable like there's it talks about a giant wooden bed that carly had made by herself a couple of years before similar to the one on the second floor so several giant wooden beds which like yeah also they're in a cave but they have a second floor so that means they had to that is a good point like an entire platform and then there's separate rooms within the cave as well yeah which again is either a lot of building or just maybe the cave is just set up 
really helpfully. <laughs> so wait, yeah, the fire was still cracking, lightening up the cave in the left corner near the engraved stairs that lead to the higher floor. <laughs> it's not how I would imagine a post-apocalyptic. <laughs> it's like a spot. In, like, also, I have questions about the fire because like, what are they doing with all the smoke? Like, There has to be some system for where all the smoke is going. Well, there's a hole in the wall that water is falling through. I think this is just a really magical, ideally set up cave. <laughs> this is the perfect cave. It does sound kind of ideal for a cave. So, like, the, the things that they sleep on are furs, right? So they're not, like, making cloth of any kind. But they yeah, are it doesn't seem bed. like there's a lot of sort of, like, weaving. I don't know. What were the other descriptions of clothes? I thought most of the clothes that I read were, like, directly from animal skin. Yeah, it's just, like, dead animals. But then, so you're building, like, a huge bed to put furs on, I guess. But you're not developing, like, a loom. You need to grow, like, flax or whatever. Like, whatever you're making fabric out of, I guess. So if they're not doing agriculture, then they can't do that. Maybe I just really wanted an agricultural post-apocalypse. I don't know. You and me both, man. I I live for agriculture. But anyway, <laughs> I am really interested also in the, the, the places where they talk about books and the ways in which books survive. Okay, so the first one is, as she was deep in thought, her eyes fell onto the piece of scroll. It was just a bunch of unintelligible marks impressed on the paper, but she had never seen something like that. She took it in her hands, looking at it more closely. She may not have been able to read, but the writing was delicate and beautiful even by itself. She passed her finger on it, noticing how she could feel the letters, even with her eyes closed. So, Mireille, this is a scroll. It's made of paper, and it's printed. Yeah, that that's especially confusing, given that, doesn't it say, like... A few lines after that, like, these are copies. Nothing was left of the real ones after the doom. It was impressed. Maybe it's a woodprint or an engraving. Or probably a woodprint. Or maybe it was a typewriter. I could see it being a typewriter as well. But then, like, where are the typewriters now? Yeah, I mean, also, actually... So I actually envisioned this as being handwritten. But see, I know, so because I do see what you mean by the word impressed. But I think also in the context of the story, given that there's some odd word choices... I'm not sure we can take impressed to mean printed. When we're told that she could feel the letters even with her eyes closed, what do you think they're written with? If you have like a really sharp stylus on paper, that's going to make an imprint, right? I hear what you're saying. Like a stylus as in... Yeah, like something quite sharp. I mean, how are you you leaving marks on the... Are they making some kind of ink? Are they making like some kind of pencil? Yeah, yeah, I think ink would not be that hard to make compared to you know the beautiful staircase but if they're making ink why aren't they just like learning how to how to write and read like why has taylor never seen one before well so i think i think this is also actually supposed to be um one of the signs of why carly's packs is better okay um in in that we're sort of like setting up a dichotomy between like a good pack and a bad pack this is a pack that is interested in preserving these aspects of like the pre-doom world and like teaching the children and we see a school and i guess we don't know that taylor's community didn't have a school but we don't see a. it's not mentioned and it does seem like she's very excited about the fact that there is a school in this community so i wonder if this is also supposed to be a sort of like showing how this is a good pack that they're like looking after books I have another question. So at one point, Carly brings Taylor to an abandoned house, 
There was a row of shelves. Are those books? Asked Taylor, her jaw dropping. There are so many. What's left of them? Replied the Alpha. They're L's. They said they would be safer here. There's a better temperature to keep them untouched by the humidity. Uh, and then we're, t- we're given a description of a book. The cover was ripped of a faded brown color. The words over it unrecognizable, but it still kept together the book's pages. Taylor passed a hand over its side, delicately skimming through the pages as her eyes danced over the incomprehensible ink marks. I have a question for you, Marae. Yes. I'm, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to answer it, but okay, I'm, I'm ready for it. If the books did not survive the doom, what are these? <laughs> so we know that Elle has copies of books, right? From the earlier mm-hmm. scenes. So maybe we're supposed to assume that these are just a bunch of other books that she's copied out and handwritten. Is that what it says? <laughs> <laughs> But these are not scrolls. They're they're ba- they're codices. Uh, yes, they're bound. this is definitely something that's bound and does have some type of cover. And seemingly bound in leather. Well, we don't know that. But yeah, we don't know that. Cover um, of a faded brown color. Certainly, if they were going to bind codices at all, they would bind them in leather, since that's what they've got. Yeah, and they have all those animal hides. Yeah, and I do think that part of the story was this idea that, like in Carly's pack, they're kind of progressing in some way. That they're like going to build a village, they're teaching the children how to write, they're preserving knowledge. It seems like sort of an act of preservation. Like we, you know, we'll have children, we'll teach those children, like our sort of community will survive and be able to pass on stories. We'll be able to sort of feed everyone through the winter and have time to sit around telling stories, reading books. How long do you think like after the apocalypse this is? I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on like how long we think like how we think like stories or legends of an apocalypse would yeah like thinking about how they talk about it yeah yeah because i feel like the way in which you talked about an apocalypse would very much depend on how long ago it was because they don't really talk about it very much no that's true they kind of seem to have gotten used to it and they just sort of refer to it as like oh well the doom and it's not a huge thing Taylor talks about it in the way of sort of like, well, we have like legends. Right. Like she had heard of it, the world before the doom, the myths and stories the elders told the pups as they were still young enough to believe them. As a pup, she'd love the stories, but growing up, who in their right mind would have believed that? Oh, wait, no, sorry. It says directly. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure some things have been changed and exaggerated over time. After all, we're talking of centuries ago. But yes, there have been others before us, our ancestors, we would say. Yeah, that makes sense because no one seems to be able to remember a time before now. Yeah. That's interesting, though, that they still have books. I mean, apparently they're being kept dry in that one house. Although, I don't know how. But anyway, but that's... <laughs> yeah, that's just impressive um, ability to preserve books. Maybe, so maybe it's not a very humid climate. Maybe they're somewhere a little dry. Well, yeah, this might be another clue in terms of us trying to decide where yeah. we think this is. So not humid, drier, but still snows in the winter, but also doesn't get too cold i mean I, I also feel like probably the climate apocalypse if if this is the well what okay oh yeah yeah what apocalypse was it this is kind of what i was wondering because like is the apocalypse related to the fact that that there are alphas and omegas and so on or or is that just unrelated i don't think the story really gestures in either direction even that the omegaverse is something that exists like not in an apocalyptic universe i don't think there's a reason to assume that this also how would that develop or is that just like an evolutionary development post-apocalypse for like a nuclear apocalypse to like change the composition of humans i'm not a scientist okay 
Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, it also says this. Oh, <laughs> maybe neither of us read this story very well, Cleo. Imagine how selfish that humankind can be. Now imagine if instead of bows and arrows, we had weapons so strong that they could break the world in half. They doomed themselves, ended the killer. So it is a nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, also, what do you think about the line that comes after that, though? Maybe it's better if the past stays in the past. I think that that's very interesting. On the one hand, it's not wanting to explain anymore. And so it's sort of like, maybe it's better if I don't do exposition. But this (laughs) idea of the past, of the past staying in the past seems really fascinating because one thing that Taylor Swift does is not let the past stay in the past and like keep bringing it up. And like this Taylor is very different from real world Taylor. And I think that this is one of the, the points at which you really see that because she's kind of letting it go. And like, Taylor Swift doesn't let things go. Like, she dwells on things. But this one is totally fine with where she is and what she's doing. And also, I mean, she does leave behind her entire... I mean, maybe she also didn't really enjoy the pack that she was in and, like, her parents are dead and everything. However, to me, it did seem a little bit flippant the way in which she was so, so happy to leave basically everyone she's ever known and i mean there is a scene when she sort of sees them again when everyone's watching the like fight between um carly and west when she sort of then sees some people from her old pack and she's like oh it's sort of good to see that you guys are okay but there was not very much sentimentality there and there's definitely no mention of her kind of missing her old pack or missing anything like she's very happy to have just completely closed the book on that and be done with all of those people Well, we are told that she thinks that Liz is dead. So she thinks that her like last person that she cared about. I mean, though, also in terms of the past staying in the past, she seems very concerned about discovering that Liz is actually Carly's mom. In some ways, like that, that's the only friction in their relationship is that. Which also isn't even friction. It did seem like an almost like invented conflict. That's kind of what I was going to say. It's like the fact that she briefly hesitates before telling Carly and she's like, oh, is this going to change things between us? And then she tells her and it doesn't. Yeah. And she also seems just incredibly worried that the fact that she knew she's like figured out who Carly's mom is and Carly doesn't know about this. She seems incredibly worried this is just going to ruin their relationship and Carly's going to hate her forever. So just to clarify, because she thinks that Liz, who she's realized is Carly's mom, sacrificed herself to save Taylor. Yeah, and I think that as a reader, I think most people's reaction would be, like, obviously that's not a real concern. (laughs) Like, she's not going to be incredibly mad at you about this. And if anything, she'll probably be super, super happy to find out anything about her parents. You know, she's grown up knowing nothing about where she came from. She just appeared as a baby floating down a river. And now she knows that, like, they had to do that to save her. And that's the whole reason that, like, Carly fights West and, like, almost dies is that Taylor sort of revealed this secret about the past wait but is that maybe it's not the whole reason yeah i was like i don't think that's the whole reason because like there's like this concept of that like if you steal an omega from another pack that's a declaration of war so technically carly has made a declaration of war and then like once he finds out then it's like i'm going to attack your entire pack blah 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 and it's this whole like oh you can either turn over taylor or a bunch of people are going to die but then they decide to just like fight each other to the death. I feel like I was never 100% sure of whether in fact this counted as Taylor being stolen from the pack given that she like bonded with Carly and hadn't bonded with anyone in the other pack. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how people are considered 
to have like pack bonds and like who is considered part of whose pack are omegas just allowed to like run away and join a new pack because it seems like from west's point of view he thinks like taylor is an omega in his pack and regardless of the circumstances of her leaving since she very clearly like voluntarily left he's still kind of like no this was a declaration of war and I think it's difficult to know since we see such a small glimpse of sort of like social norms in this world. So we don't know if this is something that like all packs understand and they all have a certain understanding of what it means for an Omega to move from one pack to another. Right. We don't know which if either of these packs is sort of typical and which is an outlier, but they clearly have yeah. very different cultures. And then Carly challenges West to a one-on-one So that's at least like a shared cultural norm. Right. My pack and yours, who wins, gets both. Yeah. Sort of the idea that like instead of a war, you can do like a single combat between the two alphas of a pack. And everything, of course, turns out fine since Carly wins. So they make it seem like she's not going to blah, blah, blah. It kind of freaks me out a little bit that like West is like, like presumably Kanye West is like the antagonist in all of this and like tries to rape Taylor. Like I think that that's a little troubling. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that this might be more of a, like, general issue with the trope, but the way in which, like, this threat of sexual violence is always related to scent, because while I think in Omega, while, like, certainly in this story, and I think, you know, Omegaverse stories in general, like, sexual violence always framed as, like, pretty bad, but also it's framed as something that is almost irresistible, because it's not as if, like, oh someone's a terrible person and so they decided to like harm someone it's more like someone could not overcome this like really good smelling scent for one thing that really turns it into actually being about sex rather than like power yes and also then the idea that everyone feels like sort of the same desire and the difference then is one's like level of being able to resist it And like Carly. Yeah, I mean, also, I think that was kind of, I don't know, interesting in that, like, they do have sex when Taylor is in heat. The difference is that Taylor has just, like, always felt very strongly towards her since, like, the first time she saw her. So Taylor, like, initiates it and, like, consents, Mm -hmm. but she's also, like, in heat. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think that this is also a story that has, like, a very mild interpretation of the psychological effects of heat. So maybe the reason I was reading this and being like, is that, and I think a lot of other interpretations of the Omegaverse, you are like out of your mind during heat in a way that you like can't really consent. To be fair, I think that like aspects of dubious consent are probably common in a lot of romance literature. It's something that is like a trope of romance literature that isn't necessarily always problematic. But I do think that that's something that is sort of an issue in the Omegaverse in general, if you have sort of a strong like psychological effect of heat. And clearly Carly knows that this is not what she's supposed to be doing. Yeah, okay, I think this is why that scene bothered me. She explicitly brings her to the place where Omegas are supposed to be safe during their heat. And then they have sex. Which again, Taylor in the scene is very enthusiastically consenting, but still it's framed by, oh, you're in your heat. This is like this vulnerable state. Let me take you somewhere safe. Can people smell better or do people just smell more? As in like people are just stinkier. (laughs) I don't know. 
I don't think there's anything in the Omegaverse to indicate that people's sense of smell in relation to things that aren't related to like other humans is particularly better. Like it's not like in Omegaverse fix everyone's like, oh, I can smell like the guy cooking salmon a block away. Right. Um, but people can definitely smell like, oh, like an Omega just walked in the front door. They don't talk about like the delicious smell of the chestnut soup. If they can smell really well, you would think it would come up in the context of hunting. After Taylor first meets Carly, and then she like, ru- Carly runs off. And then Taylor has a conversation with West where she says something along the lines of like, oh, it, it was like a moose or something. Oh, yeah. So he says, I smelled someone else here with with who were you talking? No one replied Taylor. I, there was a moose. Maybe you smelled that. And he says, I guess I guess a moose would be a good hunt after that giant referring to a boar. Where do moose and boar live? Oh, wait. Yes, this could be another clue. <laughs> But no, okay, so in terms of this is just whatever maps Google came up with, the only places where moose and wild boar are, like, in the same place is in, like, Nevada, Idaho, Oregon-ish. This is just based on when I Googled moose habitat map and wild boar map, so maybe take it with a grain of salt. I think that's an appropriate level of research to do. Anyway, so the scene with the moose would indicate that people in the Omegaverse, or at least in this interpretation of the Omegaverse, just have a much better sense of smell. I think that this is kind of an interestingly tense moment because she says, maybe you smell the moose and there was a little scary flame in his eyes for a second. Then it disappeared as his face broke into an exaggerated grin. He says, I guess the moose would be a good hunt, but he doesn't say, oh, maybe I smelled a moose. Like, it's not clear whether... Yeah, but also there's a mention later about how he doesn't have a very good sense of smell. Oh, so maybe he's kind of covering. Yeah, yeah. I think he's covering the fact that he doesn't have a good sense of smell. Right. And he's like, oh, awkward. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, moose. That'd be that'd be good. I can definitely tell the difference between a moose and an unknown alpha by smell. I do want to ask, like, almost like, what does this have to do with Taylor Swift? And I have like some answers right like one answer is like the i think the the title is kind of interesting and also the the author says in a note at one point that it could have been called i know places and would have been except that the author didn't love love that title so it's called out of the woods i know places it's about being hunted they are the hunters we are the foxes and it's specifically about thinking of oneself as an animal and as functioning kind of animalistically and as a as a victim of cruelty that that choice of song would make a lot of sense i think for this story yeah but then it's called are we out of the woods which is interesting too because this is all in a post-apocalyptic woods well but then the yeah the only time i really saw the out of the woods being invoked in the story is in the last couple lines um when they're talking about the like big reveal that taylor is pregnant happens because you know if you're gonna have omegaverse you might as well have a pregnancy (laughs) pregnancy is very common in the omegaverse um i think also if we're talking about pre-existing tropes within fan fiction that again got woven together to create the omegaverse i think like men being able to get pregnant and just sort of having very hand wavy reasons as to why was sort of a thread that got picked up because the idea that you have sort of like some men that can't get pregnant, but then sort of a class of men that can, that is sort of a fundamental part of the Omegaverse, but that's like a pre-existing trope in fan fiction. I think there is something interesting about the way the Omegaverse is both transgressive and conservative in terms of ideas about gender, since you have like this other idea of dynamic that 
means that you could be a female alpha or a male omega. Also in this in this story, you have a non-binary character that seems like very, very normalized. I almost wonder whether like the omega verse like kind of gives you permission to sort of to just have sort of a, a world that's more accepting about gender. It kind of moves the, the, the place of like, you know, stress from gender to like dynamic. Yeah, because now uh, most of the stress or the sort of stress of things that would be often like an aspect of gender roles in our society are completely removed from any idea of gender. There are ways in which using the Omegaverse then you sort of don't have to write about men or you don't have to write about women. And what I mean by that is that you could write a story where people were like having children with each other um, and like getting each other pregnant and all of your characters could be women or all of your characters could be men. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if that's part of the role that Omegaverse is serving in some stories. You know, in our world, like trans men can get pregnant and like, obviously that's not what's happening, happening in the Omegaverse, but it's kind of interesting that that's kind of displaced a little bit, like that a, a certain number of men, a certain group of men can still get pregnant. Yeah, because I think what you say about displacement is very true, that you're displacing things that are sort of like, that do exist kind of as a concept in our society, but then making it this whole other thing, which maybe then is a way to write about it more easily because you don't feel personal baggage related to it because you're not writing about something that exists in your world. Yeah. And like, I mean, with the same relation to like trans identity, like the fact that Mm -hmm. like alphas have like penises and therefore Carly being an alpha has a penis and is a woman. Yeah. And I think that's an area in which there's definitely a lot of, I don't know, sort of like queer possibilities of Omegaverse as a trope. But then as the same token, I've definitely heard some people online say that Omegaverse as a trope is inherently transphobic because it doesn't like allow for the possibility of transition or the possibility of one's identity not matching what someone was like perceived as or like assigned at birth. But yeah, also one thing I wanted to say about um, pregnancy or things in general that I think the Omegaverse like makes possible, like that, you know, Carly and Taylor are both like women in the story, but still they like biologically conceive a child together. And that's very, you know, like no surprises to anyone in this world. Very kind of just like, oh, yeah, this is typically what happens. I think that like the Omegaverse is obviously like a lot more than that, because if you just needed that, you wouldn't have like mating bites and going into heat and nodding and all these other aspects of the Omegaverse. But I think that might have, that might be a cause for the popularity of the Omegaverse or sort of another role that it could play for some people. Maybe the Omegaverse like gives different people different things, like the sort of animalistic aspect of sexuality, like that could be appealing to some people in a way that other people are more interested in the way that allows them to sort of subvert ideas of gender. Other people could be more interested in just like, I want my characters to be able to have a baby together. And I don't want to like invent other things to make that possible, or I don't want to sort of have it happen in a certain way. I just want it to happen. I'm thinking about in terms of like the ending with Taylor being pregnant and them talking about the future. So the the final lines are like, Carly says something about like they're stepping into a completely new world. Uh, and Taylor says, we've gone through all the woods together. Um, the clear won't be so scary after all. And they're sort of imagining this future, not just for themselves and their child, but like for the human race in a way and and sort of 
it's almost this mo is this like new start. And I think that there's something very typical to post-apocalyptic fiction about the idea of a pregnancy. Like, I don't know, like zombie stories, I feel like always have some pregnant character. There's a child. Yeah, or have like a small child who everyone has to protect. You have to like in the transport story. the child through the mm. zombie wasteland for some yeah. reason. Like, yeah, there's always something about like humanity going on. Yeah, which I think is also present at other points in the story um like with how they're protecting these books and they're teaching the children right. how to read and that's something sort of a lot is like oh this is like a good pack right Maybe like a safe pack that you know you have space to like protect children does that in any way relate to the song the song is about a difficult moment in a relationship but it's through this sort of this metaphor of being out of the woods and so it's sort of this repeated are we out of the woods yet are we in the clear yet and so obviously that's what's being referred to at the end yeah as in like the clear won't be so scary after all right sort of getting through this yeah. i mean in this case like the literal the literal woods in which all these bad things are happening but also sort of metaphorically all of these difficulties mm -hmm. then there's this other stuff about like baby like we stood a chance two paper airplanes flying and it's sort of about the precariousness of this relationship and in fact later in the song they're in an accident and they go to the hospital and yet when the sun came up we're told i was looking at you so she's they, they survived this accident and they're in the clear mm -hmm. and so i think you know well it's not sort of a direct relationship like certainly the way in which the the story is structured is obviously that you know they they meet they come together precariously they have this you know violence that happens to them and then they're sort of together and it also seems like at the end it's being implied that everything will be sort of smooth sailing after this it's sort of constant worry for a while is the fact that they aren't like formally mated yet and it right. seems like in this universe being mated is this very forever thing um which i think is also one of the kind of more conservative elements of Omega versus a trope is this idea of mating is forever. I don't know. Maybe this is, again, my mm -hmm. weird interpretation of the Omega verse, but I think it is sort of taking a what could be a social norm and then saying, no, this is actually biological. When you find one person, then you're together forever or that sort of expectation. But then in the Omega verse, that's not only the expectation, that's like a biological requirement. The thing I will say about this is I think it ends the way that the song Are We Out of the Wood ends with this kind of like tentative awareness of having survived something with like no strong hope for the future. It's like, we're just going to keep going, but like, who knows what's going to happen. Which I guess is fitting for a post-apocalyptic setting yeah, in general. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm glad that they have realistic expectations for their <laughs> lives. Because like we were told, this the clear won't be so scary after all. Like, they're still mm -hmm. going to face all of these. Yeah, there's still sort of the, the unknown is very right. present. Or like the idea that it's unknown is definitely real. Which is fitting, but they're having a baby. Human civilization is continuing. There'll be more alphas, betas, and omegas in the future. All right. Yeah. Well, that's 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 all, right? Like, <laughs> you're like, get me out of the omega verse. <laughs> yeah. So I will say you were you were quite a trooper, Cleo. And as Thank was you. anyone who listened to this, I do think the omega verse is is an interesting part of fan fiction, but is definitely not for everyone. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to me about it. I, I found it really informative and educational. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Studies in Taylor Swift. Please write in with questions or comments to studiesintaylorswift at gmail.com. You're listening to Happy Strumming by Audionautics. <laughs> <laughs>